Good morning. morning. Glad you're here on your seat. You'll find the notes. Should have been handed to you on the way in, but if you missed that, we put them on the chairs too. So you want to pick those up, you can follow along with me while you do that. Let me welcome all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, um, Lakewood. Boy, those that are live streaming us right now, literally all over the place. Those that will listen later on via podcasting, CD, DVD. However, you're a part of the JFC family. We're glad that you're here, and we're glad that you're tuning in. We're in a a series called Ephesians. We just started it last week, so if this is your first weekend, we're not so far into it that you can't pick up right right off the beginning of it. Here's uh, here's something a little bit different that we're doing. Normally, there, there are two teaching styles that you'll find predominantly in any church you go to. You've got churches that teach topically. They'll pick a topic, and then they'll do an entire series on a topic, or... They'll take a chapter and then go verse by verse in the Bible. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Don't look at it that way. Both are good. Both have their pros. Both have their cons. Uh, here's, Here's what we're doing this time. We're picking a particular book and we're going through the book. The benefit of it is it gives better context uh, overall when you're studying the Bible. Is context important? Absolutely. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say, but how many of you realize if we, if we understand it, how it's written to who it's written to, we can apply it in the right way and actually get the benefit out of it. So we, we don't have anything against doing topically. Uh, in fact, next series, we'll go back to a topic series. We enjoy doing topics, but we also enjoy being able to uh, take the word and to break it down. So last week, we started Ephesians 1, and we went through the first six verses. Today, we're going to take 7 through 10 and talk about that. Here's what, uh, here's what I said last week, and uh, just as a reminder, if I only had one book of the Bible left uh, in my lifetime to read, it would be the book of Ephesians. I think this about this book. I think that Paul, uh, in all of his letters, all of the epistles that are written to the churches, I think that Paul sums up his vision and what God has given him to bring to the first century church. I think that Paul sums it up best in the book of Ephesians. Last week, I used these, uh, these four words to sort of say, here, here it was all summed up. Paul begins to talk about the Father's kind intentions. The Father's kind intentions. And we taught on what God's kind intentions are to us and how if you really get that, it will change everything. Today, I'm going to talk about lavish love. Say it with me, lavish love. I'm going to have some fun with this. The first part of it is pretty heavy, pretty serious. Second part, um, be a little bit lighter. But uh, let's, let's jump in Ephesians chapter 1, 7 through 10. If you'll find it in your notes, I'll read it. Uh, Paul begins, in him we have redemption through his blood. Let me stop. Um, I, I, need to, I need to quickly, uh, quickly, quickly teach this. Theologically speaking, the two words in him are important. All through the New Testament, you'll find that the writers use the word in him. Him is Jesus, and they're talking about the work that he's done and how we fit inside of that. Paul is using a theological term here or understanding that he wants us to come into. When he says in him, it's the idea that through one person, you either uh, are successful or you fail. It's actually a military terminology. Let me, let me break this down for you real quickly. In the Old Testament, whenever Israel would go out to do battle, uh, they would do it a little bit different than modern warfare. Modern warfare, go on the battlefield, fight till the last man is standing. How many of you know that if you do it that way, what happens is nothing's left when it's all said and done. You fight to the last one, there's nothing left. Uh, Old Testament, they would fight this way. Rather than all the armies going out against each other, they would pick a champion. And the champion would represent the entire nation. Uh, We found this story, you can see a, a great example, David and Goliath. 
you ever read the story, Goliath was a champion of the Philistines. He fought on behalf of the Philistines. The Bible says that Goliath would go out every day. He would stand in a valley and he would shout to the armies of God. And this is what he would say, send me a man. If I beat him, you serve us. If he beats me, we'll serve you. And then the Bible records this. The armies of God would look at each other and shriek and hide in the rocks. How many of you know that does not inspire confidence in how it's going to turn out for you long term? Literally, Goliath would come out and shout at the armies of God, send me a man. Let us fight each other. If I win, you serve us. If you win, we'll serve you. They would look at each other, scream, and hide in the rocks. The Bible records this story that David, a young man, had gone to visit his brothers, and he happened to be there at the time when Goliath is shouting like this. And he looks around, and he sees his brothers go and hide in the rocks. And David says this, who is this guy that he would defy the armies of the living God? He said, I will go out and fight him. And you know the story. They tried to put Saul's armor on David, but it was too big and too heavy. David picks up five stones. He goes out to meet Goliath. He uses a slingshot. He kills a giant. What happens is all of the Philistines end up running away because their champion lost. And the armies of God conquered that day because their champion won. Paul takes that thought, that idea, that military terminology that in one person, the fate, whether good or bad, can rest. He takes that idea and he puts it back into Jesus. A little, a little later in the book of Romans, Paul writes these words. He says, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin so death spread to all men because all sinned. He says, through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Sin came through one man, Adam. Life came through one man, Jesus. In one person, we either are successful or we fail, depending on the outcome. Paul is teaching that in Jesus, we have won. Does that make sense? So taking that thought, let's read the beginning of Ephesians again. Paul writes, in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." All right, I am preparing this this week, and as I look at these three verses, I, I am stuck on the blood of Jesus. Now, I need to stop here for a minute. I want you to help me do a demonstration. Um, I recognize, put, put yourself in my place real quickly. Um, we've got a church, relatively large church, a little better than 3,000 people. We have nine services over the weekend. We meet in multiple locations. Okay, one, one guy is supposed to take that truth and try to lead that group of people all towards a, a understanding. How do, you, how do you move a group that large coming from that many different places so that we all move together in, in one? How would you do it if you were me? Would you shriek and go hide in the rocks if it was? Yeah, I, I look at it sometimes and I'm just like, God, if you don't do something here, I don't know how to move this group. I love my church. I love what God's done, but I know this to be a fact. There is not a more eclectic church in our area. 
This church, listen, we don't have a moniker that we, you, people don't come here because we put Baptist on the door or, or we put Presbyterian. People come here because we love Jesus. So that's the thing that unites us all. But, but boy, as good as that is, here's the problem with that. There, there's, a, there's a lot that goes around the idea of loving Jesus. Some of you come from a very strict background. Some of you come from, from, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the message. Some are older, some are younger. We've got such a diverse background. How do you move that group of people towards uh, a, a, a truth that you're trying to teach? So I sit here, I'm reading this. I want to teach on the blood of Jesus. And here's the problem with that. How many of you have ever even heard a message on the blood of Jesus? Would you raise your hand real quick? Maybe, maybe half of us. How many of you have never heard a message on the blood of Jesus? It's quite a few of us. Boy, I, I'm getting ready to teach something then. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you have no, I mean, you, you have no entry into it. How, how do you even begin? Where do you start to try to take that group and move them along? All right, I, I am just going to try to teach from the book of Genesis through Revelation in 20 minutes here, real quick. <laughs> Put it all together for you. Here's, here's, <laughs> here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray right now. We're going to ask God to help us. So, Father, we do in Jesus' name, we, we come boldly to the throne room. Here's what you say. In our time of need, we can boldly uh, come to you and you will give us help. And so, Father, right now, would you just help me? Would you help us? Would you open our eyes, open our ears, open our heart? Allow us to understand this great truth, this revelation. God, for some people today, they're going to hear a truth. It, it is life-changing. For some people, God, who are struggling and they're battling the enemy in their life, here is going to be the key that gives them overcoming power. Some people this morning, God, in their body, they are struggling with disease. God, I'm about to teach that in the blood of Jesus, there is healing. Some people this morning, Father God, don't even know you. They don't have a relationship with you. I'm about to teach that through the blood of Jesus, we have peace with God and we're able to enjoy eternal life with you. God, this morning, would you draw us all together so that what's impossible can become possible through you? If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> no, I didn't say just amen. That's all. All right. <laughs> Quickly, the blood of Christ. In the Old Testament <clears throat> begins uh, teaching the sacrificial system. Uh, as, as believers in the New Testament, how do you reconcile the Old Testament you recognize that Jews today don't embrace the New Testament. They embrace the Old Testament. Jews are still waiting for Messiah to come. They don't recognize that Jesus was Messiah. Therefore, the New Testament doesn't have a bearing on their belief system. The Old Testament is what they read. They don't even consider it the Old Testament. It's, it's the scripture. It's the scrolls that they read from. Uh, we look at the Old Testament. We have a different understanding. As believers in Christ, in Yeshua, we look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament frames for us perfectly God's plan to send Jesus. In the Old Testament, we begin to see the sacrificial system that God instituted. If I had to sum up for a group of people who were all over the map when it came to understanding these things, here's how I would begin to talk about the Old Testament. I would say that the Old Testament, when it comes to the sacrificial system, is trying to say this to us. It's the blood of the innocent that is supplied to the guilty so that their sin can be taken away. It begins to, if that's not the Holy Spirit, do not get it. You're frozen now too, aren't you? are like, oh, please quit dialing. Okay, here's, 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 the, here's the deal. In the Old Testament, from the beginning of time, Adam was created in the perfect environment. He, he was created 
to, to know God, to love God, and, and to be in relationship with God. God uh, gave Adam everything, and Eve everything they could possibly want in order to have a blessed and a wonderful life. It also included free choice. Here's what God said to them. I have put you in this environment that is absolutely perfect. I have provided for you everything that you need to be able to live and to live successfully. But in order to let you choose, real love, listen to me, real love is never coerced. Real love is always a choice, yes or no? If, if I force you to love me, then you didn't really love me. If you, you need to choose for yourself to love me. When God created mankind, he created man with the understanding, I want man to choose. He's not really free unless he chooses to do it himself. But with free choice, there is a good side and a bad side. There is the side that, yes, you can choose to love God, but yes, you can also choose to go your own way. So God says, uh, in the Garden of Eden, you can eat of every tree that I've put here except for one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat of that, you shall surely die. He wasn't talking physical death. He was talking spiritual death. Adam and Eve went out promptly, and they ate of that tree. Now, a lot of people tend to look at that and go, man, we get the blame for what Adam and Eve did. No, you're, you're seeing it wrong. We are Adam and Eve. The proof of that is we do our own thing. Anybody in this room ever done your own thing? this morning. Yeah, of course. This last week, Chris and I, uh, Amy and Marcus, uh, my son-in-law and my daughter, they're pastors here. They, they, they took this campus and the pastors on this campus, they, they did a retreat. And Amy and Marcus said to Chris and I, could you watch the kids for a couple of days? Let me rephrase that. They said to Chris, could you watch the kids for a couple of days? And I, I did, I, I, she is good at it and I am not. And the bottom line is, I would go over, they live in Castle Rock, we live in Highlands Ranch, I'd drive down in the mornings, and I would relieve her, and, and I would give her a chance to, to recoup, and, and to, to, to just rest a little bit, and then I would go to work, and in the afternoons, then I would come back, and again, we would go out to eat, we would go play, we would go do things where I could, I could help her, but she spent the majority of the time with them, she would spend the night with them, I would go home, we, we had a really good time. Here, though, is what I would teach you. When it comes to the, the nature of man, people tend to think today you have to teach someone how to do the wrong thing. No, no, you have to teach people how to do the right thing. And the proof of that is if you've ever had a two-year-old, you know. <laughs> These children, I love them. I think they're the greatest grandchildren. In the, there are no finer grandchildren in the world, but here's what they would do. Whenever Chris would leave the room, they would conspire against me. And they knew how to get me. They, they, there was a little, we were eating breakfast, and I had stopped, and I had picked up some donuts. Their mom and dad aren't there, and I went to Krispy Kreme, and I got, oh, man. I, I live vicariously through these children in a wonderful way. I, I picked up donuts, and I go down there, and Chris leaves to take the oldest one to school, and the other four are with me, and we're sitting, and we're eating donuts. And there's just a little iPad here, and they're watching a little television show. And the two-year-old reaches up and decides that he wants to be the only one that can watch the television. And the other three, it was a world war that broke out. Donuts, I swear to you, they were every place. There was biting, and there was screaming, and there was crying, and that was just me. It was, it was horrible. It was, it was, and I recognized right then and there, you know this to be true, that when, when a two-year-old acts selfishly, when a two-year-old acts abusive, oh, we can excuse it because they're two, but when a 35-year-old does it, 
When a 35-year-old is a CEO in a boardroom and decides that I'm going to act selfishly, it is not what is best for the corporation that I pay attention to, but what's best for me that I'm going to, yes or no, that's when it turns nasty. When a two-year-old is abusive, we can excuse it as, uh, you know, it's just a, a t the terrible twos. Uh, but when a 25-year-old is abusive towards his wife, it's not funny, is it? My point simply is that mankind, the proof that man has done their own thing is around us, and we are born sinning. We are born with that nature, and it is only by the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us that we can even have another nature. That, that is the truth of the matter. And so when we begin to look at these scripture and, and we're talking uh, about the blood of Christ and, and what the blood of Christ does, and I'm trying to teach on these things, we, we get into the Old Testament. The Old Testament, I think, is summed up in the idea that our sin separated us from God and something needed to be done in order to repair the relationship. So God would have the high priest. You remember, even today, Yom Kippur, uh, the, the day of atonement, the high priest would, would, the sacrifice would be made for the people and the high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice. He would go into the temple and inside the temple was the holy of holies where the presence of God was. It dwelt behind a curtain. The priest could go into the inner court, but no one other than the high priest once a year on the day of atonement could go into the holy of holies. He would take the blood of the sacrifice, he would go into the Holy of Holies, and the mercy seat was inside of the Holy of Holies. He would take the blood, and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, and he would cry out for God's mercy. And the Bible taught us that the blood of the innocent would cover over. It didn't take away, it covered over the guilt. And it gave us a symbolism or an understanding that, yes, our sin. Listen, if you sit here today and you hear this message and you think to yourself, man, it's just not that, I'm just not that bad. You, you're, you're a prideful person. You don't understand that God is perfect and God is holy. And the measurement that we are required to measure up to is his perfection. And the truth of the matter is, none of us can do it. So, so how then are we ever reconciled to God? Well, God begins to show that the innocent take the place of the guilty, and he used the sacrifice of animals in order to show forth the idea. But then in the New Testament, here's what the Bible says. Christ himself was our sacrifice. And he took his blood, and he went to the Holy of Holies, and he made peace for us with God once and for all. Amen. An interesting thought that happened, the Holy of Holies, when Jesus was on the cross, and the Bible says that he cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he gave up his spirit. The Bible teaches that inside the temple at that very moment, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the people, the curtain was torn top to bottom. What's the symbolism? The work of Jesus has now made it possible that the presence of God can be with man and man can be with God. Yeah. Once and forever, it has all altogether been satisfied in one person. Amen. We have redemption. All right, now quickly, let me then teach on the blood of Jesus. Why is the blood important? What does the blood do for us? How do you, how do you fit this into to 20 minutes? Okay, uh, four, four things on the blood of Christ. Number one, the blood of Christ saves us. It saves us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Paul writes these powerful words. Therefore, brothers and sisters, he's writing to believers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the holy of holies, by the, what does it say? 
When I say that, we all do it together. Let's try again. We, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. What makes it possible for us to be able to be in the presence of God, the holy place right here is not a temple in Jerusalem. The temple doesn't exist anymore. Where the temple is, is the Dome of the Rock now. The temple is not there. The temple in this particular understanding, he is not talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. He is talking about heaven, the holy place, the place where God's presence dwells. And here's what it's saying. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, we can be with God in eternity. It saves us. You don't get to heaven because you're good. You don't get to heaven because you went to church. You don't get to heaven because you gave money. You don't get to heaven because you do anything. You get to heaven because of what Jesus did. Does that make any sense? If you really get that, it should change then the way that we live. Somebody last week really got the wrong idea about what I was teaching. This is what they said. I, I just made this casual statement that you're not really teaching grace right unless you make a legalist nervous. Somebody wrote me, said, Pastor, when you teach that way, what you're kind of saying is that, man, it's okay for people to go and sin. I never said that, but here's, here's what I know. If, if hell and, and the threat of hell is what keeps you serving God, you're serving him for the wrong reason. You should serve God because you love him. My, my children, I've got five children. I love them. They love me. I never have to threaten them. I am going to kill you if you don't love me. What? <laughs> no, think about it. That's harsh, but think about how people, they tend to, it's to escape hell that they want to serve God. And that's not at all it. We love him. Therefore, here's how you actually would ever quit sinning. When you recognize that a particular behavior you have hurts the one that you love, you quit doing it. Let me try over here to married people. <laughs> Hear what I said. When you realize, Meredith, when you realize that a behavior you have hurts the one that you love, you stop doing it, yes or no? Okay, if that's true in a marriage relationship, now let's take it into the relationship with God. When we are passionately in love with him, when we are connected to him, when we realize we were created to know him and him to know us, when you get to that level of relationship, here's what God says, I will write my law upon your heart. You don't need someone else to tell you what's right and what's wrong. You know what's right and what's wrong based on what God speaks to you, yes or no? And then here's what's really good. What God speaks to me is not what he speaks to you. You ever gone to a church where they all dress the same? No, do you know what I'm talking about? Hey, when, when I, I, when I, uh, I, I, I want to stray and I, I went to a church that was, it was a little Pentecostal church. And, and here's what they, they, when you got, they, they taught relationship with Jesus, but right after relationship with Jesus, they gave you a list not a physical list, but pretty much you knew what the list was. Where you could not couldn't go, what you could not couldn't say, where, what movies you could not couldn't go to. Does anybody know what I'm talking about right now? And here was what was really fun. The women never wore jewelry. They wouldn't wear makeup, and they had beehive hairdos way up to here, man. And they all dressed the same, and here's why. In their mind, in their mind, the way they looked, dressed, and acted set them apart and made them holy. It appeased their conscience. They thought by doing this, you ever watch the Hutterites on TV? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Nobody. God, what a, what, you know, if you know, you could just look at me and smile maybe, just <laughs> help the preacher. What? Amen. 
I got to remember what service you're in when I ask for that. What? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about when I say the Hutterites? It's a, it's a group of Quaker-like people that, that they just follow their lifestyles. And they're, they're very, they live in Montana, and they're very separate in how they dress and what they do. You can only marry amongst the Hutterites. I mean, it's just it's a weird deal, to be honest with you. We look at that, we laugh. But you recognize Christians have their own little thing that they do too. You know, the things that we will and won't do. And here's, here's the thing. God never has a list. God writes on your heart what you can and can't do. And what's good for you doesn't work for me. What works for me doesn't work for you. Being in that relationship with God. Here, you get free from sin when you're in a relationship with God because he'll tell you don't do that and you don't want to hurt him and he empowers you to be able to do it. That make any sense? All right, I, I just don't have time to, to camp there. So it saves us. Here, second, the blood of Christ, it heals us. It heals us. Let me, let me show you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, Christ, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. This sentence, by his wounds, you have been healed. Altogether, you have been by how? His wounds. Isaiah chapter 53, 800 years before Jesus was born on this earth. Listen to this, very important. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. Now, Jesus is God. Jesus eternally existed. He didn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. But the physical man, Christ, did have a beginning. There, listen, why, why would God have to send a man? Sin entered the world through a man. It had to be dealt with through a man. So God sends Jesus to deal with it. Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus is born, prophesies about Jesus. Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, wounds, are the fact that he gave up his life and bled, we are healed. Now, somebody one time said to me, okay, but pastor, that is spiritual healing. Well, let me, let me argue this point for just a moment. Were you sick spiritually or were you dead spiritually? Bill, were you sick spiritually before Jesus or were you dead spiritually? You were dead. God didn't heal you. He had to bring you back to life. Amen. Yes? Amen. You, you weren't like... Well, God, if you just help me out a little bit, I can get... No, you were dead in your trespass. You were dead in your sin. You weren't going anyplace. God didn't just heal you spiritually. God had to give you a new life spiritually. So I, I would argue with you and I would agree, yes, he did spiritually heal us. But I would also say this, he also physically heals us through the blood of Jesus. In context, Peter's mother-in-law in this very chapter is healed. By prayer, I believe that the blood of Jesus heals us spiritually. It allows us to be whole before God, but it also heals us physically. I did this demonstration last night. I didn't plan for this. I didn't prep. I just knew it would be true. Quickly, if you have been healed physically in your body by God, raise your hand right now. Hold it up for just a moment. Please look around the room. Hold it up there. Just look around the room. A third of us, fair? 25% of us, something like that. All right, let's do this. If, if, if cancer was the issue, would you hold your hand up right now? You got one, two, three. Anybody else? Four. Am I missing anybody else? 
Four people healed, five. Five people healed of cancer. Uh, if it was, um, let's just go, if God just healed you and you were fighting any disease and God healed you, raise your hand very quickly. Let me see. Put, put your hand up. Okay, look around the room. You, you can sit here and go, I just don't believe God heals today. What are you going to do with this? The man with an argument is never at the mercy of a person with an experience. Did you hear what I said? How do you take away the experience? Well, God didn't really heal them. It was the environment. What environment do you live in? I, I think Eden is gone. God is a healer and he heals and he will heal you today. Wow, Robert. The one time I need you, bro. <laughs> I don't know where you were writing notes. Did you write down that he's waxing eloquent right now? Or I, Try it one more time. God will heal you today. Amen. God will heal you emotionally. God will heal you physically. God will heal you spiritually. I know some people sit in here and they go, okay, I have prayed for God to heal me and it didn't happen. What about that, pastor? Keep praying. Amen. Jesus never taught pray once and stop. Here's what Jesus said. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep approaching the Father. God heals us. We keep asking, well, well, what what if I don't get healed in this lifetime? Then ultimate healing will come to you, but keep praying. We don't know the answer. I don't know, but just because I don't know the answer does not mean I don't pray that way or that I don't believe that way. I, I don't know how God does what he does, but I know that he does it. And if you're just like, well, I've got to understand it all, give me a break. <laughs> so the blood of Christ saves us, it heals us. How about this? It forgives us. 1 John 1, 7, John wrote this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let me just quickly, quickly comment on this and, and bring it forth. In the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was made through an animal, the innocent for the guilty, it didn't take away the sin, it just simply covered the sin. When Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice, when he gave his life, here's the difference. When the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, it doesn't just cover over, it takes away. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees the work of Jesus in you, and that's what allows you to stand in his presence unencumbered of anything else except that God loves me, God is for me, and God is with me. Does that make any sense? Boy, I, I, I would love to just spend some time on that, but here's, there, 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 here's the thought. Um, there's, a, there's a scripture in the New Testament that says, if we are faithful and just to confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Let me, let me ask you the question. When we confess our sin, is that when God forgives us or has God already forgiven us through the work of Jesus? Oh, you bet. So why then would we confess our sin? If he's already done the work, why do we confess our sin? Here's why. It's our own consciences that get in the way. Our stuff. Have you ever gone to pray and the devil has somehow convinced you spend all your time talking about what's wrong with you to God? Does anybody know what I'm talking? You just spend all your time talking about, oh God, forgive me for this. Oh God, I did. Here, God, God has already dealt with every sin yesterday, today, and tomorrow through Christ. You're reconciled with him if you have said, forgive me. Amen. Now all that's left is to go forward in the relationship. What if we actually began to pray from the point of view, I'm forgiven rather than I need to be forgiven? 
What if we prayed for the point of view, God likes me rather than I'm trying to talk fast enough so that he likes me? Thank you for catching that right there. It was a critical point. All right, let me, let me just hit this last one. The blood of Christ saves us, heals us, forgives us. It empowers us. It empowers us. The book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, chapter 12, verse 10, second part, and 11, John writes these words. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So what he's saying is, the enemy, the devil, accuses believers to God, or he used to on a day-by-day basis. Now he's been hurled down. Look at verse 11. They triumphed over the enemy by the... One more time. They triumphed over the enemy by the... And by the word of their testimony. Some of you are struggling with the enemy right now. Some of you, man, you have a spiritual battle going on in your life. And here's the problem. You are trying to fight the enemy in your own power. You are never, ever going to win. He is stronger. He is faster. He is smarter. If you are responding in the natural mind to the enemy, he has already figured out the next five moves in front of you. How do you overcome the enemy? By the blood of Jesus and the word of your testimony. The blood of Christ has already come and driven a stake through the heart of the devil. You need to begin to cry out for the blood of Christ to cover your life. If you are struggling in your marriage, why not pray this way? I plead the blood of Christ over my marriage. Devil, you can't have it. If you're going, well, boy, that sounds sort of, sort of freaky to me. No, here's what's freaky. Freaky is putting up with the enemy killing your marriage every day. Freaky is allowing the devil to torment you, allowing him to terrorize you, allowing him to have territory that God has given to you. Some people tend to think, well, if God wants to do that, he knows where I live. No, he, he expects you to partner with him. He is looking for co-laborers in the harvest. All right, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Quickly, that that little Pentecostal church that that I I was introduced to Christ in, it was a neat little church, but they had this deal. Every Sunday night, they had testimony night. And there was one woman who would always raise her hand to give testimony. She was about 122, stand up, and it was always, well, the Lord got rid of the fleas on my cat. Last week, the cat was going to die. This week, now the cat's going to live. Praise the Lord. And there was no, that, that was the idea of a testimony. That, that's not a testimony. A real testimony is, what is it that God said to you this morning when you spoke to him? The way you defeat the enemy is to take the blood of Jesus and the active, ongoing relationship you have with God right now and stand on it. God told me he is for my marriage. God told me he's going to heal my body. God told me he's going to bless my business. God told me he has a plan and a purpose for me. You begin to take what God said. That's your testimony. And then the work of Christ. And then you go against the enemy. Does that make sense? Boy, it would change how we go about spiritual warfare if we ever really got that. Amen. Let me say this. This is very important. You decide for yourself if this is true. The blood of Christ, Jesus died universally for every man, woman, and child in the existence of this world. He died for everyone universally, but it is only applied personally to the one who wants it. 
Do you understand what I mean by that? This is why some people will not go to heaven. Hear me on this. Jesus died so that everyone can be in relationship with God, but only those who choose, they want it. Does it apply to? The longest continual celebration in the history of the world is the Passover, the Jewish Passover. You remember in the Old Testament that the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. They cried out to God, and God heard them through their affliction. And he sent a deliverer, Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Moses is a representation for the devil. I'm sorry, Pharaoh is a representation for, Pharaoh is a representation for the devil. Moses is a representation of Jesus. Jesus, God sent Jesus to speak to the devil, let my people go. What was the last plague that convinced Pharaoh to let the people go? It was the death of the firstborn. Yes? Jesus was the firstborn. Get the analogy. Perfect analogy right here. Okay, here's what Israel did in order to escape the angel of death. They would take the Passover lamb. And they would sacrifice the lamb. Here's how those who wanted in on it participated. If you wanted to participate in escaping the angel of death, you would go out at twilight, you would lay your hand on the lamb so that you vicariously understood in one thing rests my future. Get this, this is really important. You would touch the lamb to vicariously say, I am, this is my sacrifice. They would sacrifice the lamb and then the blood of that lamb would be put on the doorpost of the house. Do you remember? And only those who applied the blood of the sacrifice escaped the angel of death. It is true today. The only way you escape the angel of death, you must apply to your own life the blood of the sacrifice. That's Jesus. So if you hear this message today and you go, man, I, I, I just, I'm looking for something else. There isn't anything else. Paul himself said, if you reject this sacrifice, there's nothing left. Nothing. Nothing else will get you there. Nothing else will do it to you. Some are like, well, Jesus was just a good man out of many good men. You are wrong. You are wrong. Here's what you're wrong about. He was a good man, but he was God. He wasn't just a good man. He was the son of God. And God was not sent to this earth to start a new religion. Christianity is not a new version. It is the continuation of the original. It's the perfected promise of here's salvation. I ask you this question. Perhaps you are here this morning and you are a genuine open-hearted seeker. I am not mocking you. I am not, I am not making fun of that. I, I literally would look you eye to eye and tell you congratulations for being sincere, but ask yourself this question. If you really believe there are many paths to God, break it down to this one thing. What is it ultimately that allows you to have peace with God? Everything else offers this thought. If you do all of these things, you can have peace with God. Jesus is the only thing that does the work for you. And if you really get it, if you really are seeking, if you really are looking, ask yourself the genuine question, do you really think you have it within you to be righteous, to be holy, and to make it to heaven? Do you really think you can be good enough? Do you really think that that's the way it works? It doesn't work that way. If God is perfect, then the standard of his perfection is to never blow it. And we all are born blowing it. 
It takes a righteousness that is not of this world. That's why religion can't do this for you. Boy, if you were me, what would you say? What would you you try to to go after right now? I would just say, ultimately, the blood of Christ, all of these things are true and they're right, but they only are applied in your life if you want them. Let me finish this message. Boy, I've I've done pretty pretty good here. Let me finish this message this, this way very quickly. Talk about the blood of Jesus. Let me reread Ephesians here very quickly. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he, what's the word there? What is it that he? The word lavish, what an interesting word. What, 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 a, what, boy, uh, what an adjective to describe how God loves us. God doesn't like us, God loves us lavishly. Now, now if I were to try to quickly, to, to talk about lavish love, uh, the, only, the only illustration that I think is even halfway worthy is to, des- to try to describe um, the love relationship between my wife and myself. Now, here's what's interesting. In the book of Ephesians, when God wants mankind to relate to how he loves us, he uses the, the relationship between the man and the woman, the husband and the wife. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, support, submit, give yourself to your husband like you do to the Lord. He uses the relationship between the husband and the wife as the example for what it's supposed to look like, right? Okay, all right. So lavish love. The, I would use the illustration of my relationship with my wife. When we first started, started dating, we were, we were high school sweet. We have one of those stories that's just too good to believe. And, and we were high school sweethearts. Um, I, I, in order to impress my wife, in order to win her heart, I, I, I was working this job. I saved up all my money. I'd saved about a month's worth of paychecks. I, I, I got them out of the bank. And then I went to the florist and I said, look, here, here's the amount of money that I have. I want to buy roses and I want to fill a room with roses. And the dude looked at the money I had and he said, you can get seven roses with that right there. Okay, that's not going to work. What, what can I buy the most of for this money? And he said, I got a deal on carnations for you. Looking back now, I realized he was just helping me. I bought, I think it was in the neighborhood of 350, 400 carnations. And I filled a room so that when she walked in the house, this is all that she could see. And I began this relationship where I lavishly went after my wife. Now, I want you to listen to this very carefully. People mistake my personality because of what I do up here. When I stand up here, God has given me a gift. I am bold. I do not, I, 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 I can talk, I can be in, I, I don't think in terms of it embarrasses me. When I go home, I'm embarrassed by what I did up here. But right now, <laughs> I, I, I just, I go for it, man. I, I leave it all up here when I'm done. But, but if you ever meet me outside of this arena right here, here's the truth of the matter. I am exceptionally shy. I have a terrible time. I am a wallflower. I hang to the back of the room. I never go to the front of the room. I hate being the center of attention. I hate it, hate it, hate it. I get embarrassed so easily. I, I, and, and then take that coupled with the idea that I'm a pastor, and then I worry, what do people think about what I do as a pastor? So the car that I drive, I drive a modest car because I'm worried that anybody would stumble over the car that I drive. And I, I worry about all those things. But here, look at this though. When it comes to my wife, I do not worry about those things at stinking all. <laughs> I don't care what anybody thinks about how I treat her. I lavish her. She had to tell me just uh, four months ago, she said, do not buy me any more jewelry. Any woman in this room ever said that to your husband? 
you laugh about that, you're joking about that. I, everything I do, I go all, I lavish her. And she said, I have no place to put it anymore. Do not buy me any more jewelry. Here's the problem. Steve Williams, Williams Jr., Jr., South Broadway, goes to this church. He's my good friend. Go see him, he'll give you a good deal. All right, here, bottom line, here, here, here's the thing. Steve, you're listening to this right now. She's cut us off, buddy. I don't know what we're gonna do. I, the car that my wife drives, everything, I give her the very best that I can give her because I lavish her. I am so in love with her. Every morning this past week, she's down in Castle Rock watching those kids. I got up, God is my witness, between 4.30 and 5 o'clock every morning this last week. I went to Starbucks, I would get her coffee, I drove all the way down to Castle Rock, and I would wait at the front door till she woke up so I could hand her that coffee right off the bat. Some people, that's just crazy. Oh, it's nuts, insane love. How much do I love her? I love her so much that I'm not sleeping to tell her how much I love her. And if that in human terms, here's what Jesus said, the way you love is evil compared to the way that God loves. I'm trying to go all out in my illustration for how much I love this woman. It comes nowhere near how God feels about you. Now listen to this. Men sit here and they hear that message and they trip. How do I relate to God that way? He calls us sons, but we are also the bride. So that when God loves us, don't mix it with some lusty. God, his heart is so towards you. God, I, I take the best that I have to give to my wife. God took the very best that he had. It was his son, Jesus. Listen to me. There is no greater thing that a man could give than that he would lay down his life for another. God has gone out lavishly. Stephanie, when he thought about you, he wrote down the word, I will lavish her, and he sent Jesus. When God thought about you this morning, his heart is turned. How can I show them the ultimate issue? Now you're me. I'm standing here right now, and I recognize my words are only so good to a point unless you experience this love. You'll leave here going, I heard a message, but there's no great change. Unless you touch you eat of and drink of and participate in who he is and what he's done. Gosh, you'll just be smarter about a subject, but it won't change you. This love is supposed to change you. It's supposed to grab hold of you and never let you go. It's supposed to change the way you see and the way you talk and the way you hear and everything that you do. And my question to you is, is there really any evidence that that's happening? Because if not, it's not condemnation that I would bring. I would say the whole service now is prepared for you to engage with God so that you can taste and see for yourself he is good. And he is for you. His heart is turned towards you. God is not mad. He is not angry. God is not, he stands like this right now. Whosoever will may come. He compels us, go to the highways and the byways, be undignified, do whatever you must do, but let people know how I feel. The world lets everyone know how they think God feels. Why don't we stand up and tell them how he really feels? He is so passionate for you. 
He cares so much for you. And he gave the ultimate sacrifice this morning so that you can enter into that relationship. Jesus, there's nothing left that I can say, that I can do, that I can even point to this morning other than to say, would you take this right now and would you do what only you can do? Would you make this real? God, would you cause us, just like Psalms said, just like David wrote, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't let anyone in this room, anyone who hears this message, anyone within the jurisdiction of my voice simply go, okay, pastor says he's good. Taste for yourself that he's good. Receive for yourself this morning that God is on your side, that you were created to know him, to be known by him. Here's what I would, I would do right now as we go to engage with God. There's no fanfare here, no manipulation. Judge for yourself where my heart is at right now. I am not trying to cram religion down your throat. I'm not trying to, to sell reformation to you. I am trying to ask you if you want a relationship with God. That's the simplicity of it. Jesus died universally for everyone, but it's only applied personally to the one who wants it. If you walked in to any of our campuses this morning, or maybe you're walking on a beach as you listen to this message, or sitting in your office, or driving in your car, however, however you hear the message, here's the common denominator. If you are not in a relationship with the Father, if you have never said to God, be merciful to me, if you have never said to him, forgive me of my sin, if you find yourself this morning much like I was, I knew about God, but I didn't know God. Just let it rest for a second right now. The Holy Spirit will speak to everyone whose time it is to hear this message. If you say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I need a relationship with the Father based on the work of Christ. You don't need four years of theology. You don't need a master's of divinity. You just need to ask yourself, do you want his mercy and his grace? Do you want his mercy and grace? If that's you and you just say, Pastor, would you remember me today when you pray? Would you just raise your hand right now? All of our campuses right here at this campus, I'm not going to drag you out. I just want to pray for you. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, sure. Yeah, I see you. Yep, yep, there's, there's several of us. It's great, it's great, it's great. Hey, just right now, just pray for me. Pray for me. Anybody else? Even if you're by yourself right now, I want you to respond to this. Yep, I see you, gotcha. Sure, okay. All of our campuses are gonna participate in this with folks. We're gonna all pray together in order to make this as easy as possible for people to come into the kingdom. This is a family, and therefore we do it together. I want you all just to pray as I pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you. I ask you for mercy. I ask you for grace. Forgive me of my sins. Listen 
listen right now. Say it again. Forgive me of my sins. I need a Savior. I want you to think about the words that you're saying. Father, embrace me. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it on your way out this morning, there's two ways you can do this. Standing at all of our exits, you will find individuals holding on to white or gold-colored envelopes. It's so obvious. Inside of that packet, how to have a relationship with God. If you just want the information, then walk up, take the packet, go on your way. If you would like to talk to someone about that this morning, go to the Welcome Center. At the Welcome Center, just simply say, Pastor said there was somebody here I could talk to. And we'd be happy to engage you on this issue. The last thing that I simply, you don't need to respond to it, but I just want to pray for you right now. I mentioned four things that the blood of Christ does for us. Perhaps you heard that this morning and you said, oh, that God would do that in my life, that he would heal me, that he would empower me, that he would save me, that he would forgive me. If you find yourself wrestling with any of those issues this morning, then this message was taught so that you could respond to that and you could leave here today with God having done that in your life. His message to you is taste and see for yourself. If you find yourself at any of those places this morning going, Pastor, I want to engage God at that issue. Any one of those things right there. Then I want to encourage you as we enter into this time of worship right here, that's what you do with your time. Engage God over those issues. Call out for the blood of Jesus. Ask the Father to apply to your life the work of Christ and watch what happens. I just pray, rather than saying amen and going on your way, take a few minutes this morning. Engage God over this issue. Watch what will happen in your life. Father, I just pray, everyone right now, everyone who comes to you, God, asking, help me, be merciful to me. They need your mercy. They need to be empowered. They need to be healed. God, this morning, would you do what only you can do? What's impossible with man is possible with God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.